Well, you don't need me to tell you this, but uh, we, we've, we've been through some tough times <laughs> recently. Um, and, and it just doesn't feel like it's, uh, it doesn't feel like it's stopping anytime soon. It doesn't seem like there's a line of sight as to when it's all going to be better. It, it kind of feels like that feeling. I remember being a kid when I first played in the ocean, you know, and you, you, you get over one wave and you think, okay, I got it. I'm standing back up again. And then another one comes and then you get back up again. And then another one comes and you get back up again. It just feels like that is the way life has been, that the hits just seem to keep on coming. And because we don't know when it'll get better, I, I've just tried to see this whole season as, well, maybe there's something to learn. Maybe there's something we can grow from because of, that, because of this season. That there's a significant challenge, though. There, there's something that this whole season has revealed, I know, in me. I would imagine maybe some of you might relate to this as well. That this season has taught us that there's, this, there's an underlying defect in all of us. Now, now, before you go pushing back or maybe turning this off because you think, hey, I, I don't know this guy and he's telling me there's something wrong with me. I, I mean it, that it's, it's all of us. It's, it's me and my kids and my parents and my friends and my family and you and your kids and your family and your parents and, you, and your friends and your roommates. And it genuinely is all of us that we're all prone to put our faith in things that weren't meant to hold us. How, how do I know this? Well, because... When they start getting ripped away, when, when, when our fingers get pried off of those things that we put our faith in or hoped for or built our life around, it reveals something about us. It tells us something about us. One, one, one of the lies that oftentimes uh, Christian people believe, one, one of the ways that the things that we put our faith in that just isn't just isn't necessarily true is this, that, that if God is good, things are bound to get better. That, that if it doesn't get better, well, then what does that mean about God? But if he is good, like all the songs that we sing, then surely it's going to get better. The, the, essence of this, the essence of this lie that we're tempted to believe, the, the essence of this is, is called the prosperity gospel. I, I don't, I wouldn't assume that everyone knows what this means, but this is a significant stream of churches, of Christians in the world who, who, who have been taught to believe that if you believe enough and leap, you'll land on your feet. That if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. That if God really is good, then things have to get better. As I was talking about this concept with Andy, he turned me on to this quote that uh, is, has been one of those that has been haunting me and ringing in the back of my head for uh, a while now. It, it's this, it's given to us by a, a lady named Kate Bowler who said, there's a little prosperity gospel in all of us. There's something in every one of us. Those of us who have been a Christian for as long as you can remember, or maybe those of you who are new to your faith, those of us who, who grew up in the church, those of you who didn't, those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, and even those who don't, there's a little bit in all of us that thinks, well, if there is a God and he really is good, isn't it gonna get better? 
It's as if we love the idea of this up and to the right kind of life, right? That we're, we almost grow accustomed to it. We, we almost find ourselves entitled to it. That this, is, this has been revealed to me in this season that I've had to ask myself this question. Is my faith dependent on an everything up and to the right kind of life? I mean, sure, it's easy to have faith when everything's up and to the right. You know what I mean by that? I mean, when, when, when financially things are moving up and to the right, when you're, you're building wealth, when, when, you're, when you're building health, when, when your career is moving to where you want it to go, when relationally things are working out like you want them to, life's, it's obviously easier, but faith is easier. It's easier to believe when everything is up and to the right. But as we all know, and as unfortunately, as this season has taught us in so many different ways, life, it just isn't always like that. And so we've got to be sure that we're anchored in, we're anchored in the promises that God has actually made. But what does this, what does this teach us? about who God is during the hard times. I, I, I know for me, what I want, what I want more than anything to coming out of this season is, is a faith that's pandemic proof. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we have one of these about once a century. So I, I'm not saying that hopefully there's another one or maybe there's another one coming. No, no, I'm certainly not saying that. I'm just saying that, I mean, if we look at the last one, the, the one that happened in the beginning of the 20th century, the Spanish flu, I mean, just after that was World War I and the Great Depression and, and, and the Dust Bowl and then World War II. I mean, it was just hit after hit after hit. And so I, I, I hope, I want, I, I believe it's possible for a faith that can actually make it through a pandemic, a faith that can make it through the next time, a faith that can make it through the next difficult season. What, what we're going to talk about in this session, what we're going to talk about in this part of this series is where we left off in part one, where we've got this guy named Paul who's got this partner named Silas who are traveling around telling people the great news of Jesus. And, and what we learn from the two of them is there is this promise that seem to be really evident in their life that God is bringing good out of bad. It's what he does. It's who he is. And I wonder if that's what we should, if that's what we should hold on to. Not that it's going to get better, but that he's bringing good out of bad. If you remember where we left off in this story, I mean, this story is, it's wild, it's tragic. But there's this gal, this young lady, this, this young girl following Paul and Silas around. And she's, she's just, she's being annoying. She's irritating them. She's yelling out. These are servants of the most high God. Everybody look at these two. And then they get, they grow annoyed with her. They get irritated with her because it lasted a couple of days. And so Paul had had enough and he finally turns around. And he says, enough. Whatever that spirit is in you that's telling the future, I, I, I tell you in the name of Jesus, be gone. And, and so 
Luke, who wrote Acts, tells us that this spirit left her and she no longer had this gift, this skill, this ability. Maybe it set her free, but it, it set these people that were making an income off of her, it set them back. It made them mad. And so they brought Paul and Silas in and had them arrested. And the Roman government had them flogged and severely beaten. And they handed them over to this jailer who put them in the inner cell, chained their hands, chained their feet, fastened their feet to the foundation of the ground. And we looked at this little verse in Acts 16 that says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners, they were, they were listening to them. Well, of course they were. They couldn't not. But haven't you noticed that we do the same, that when somebody's going through a really hard time, we pay extra close attention. In fact, we pay the closest attention to the one going through the darkest night. I would imagine for Paul and Silas, this was one of the darkest nights of their life. And there were people that were paying attention. And the same is true for you and me, that when we go through our darkest night, other people are listening, they're watching, they're taking notes. In fact, we're far less impacted by the life of those that are always up and to the right. We, we, we have a hard time relating to them. We, we, we can't really understand what life must be like. You're probably familiar with Tom Brady, right? I mean, who's not? I think that's the way a lot of people feel about his life, that it's just so perfect, it's hard to even relate. I think it's why people that we see in the news, celebrities like Tiger Woods or even Britney Spears or Kevin Hart, people that have bumped into some hard times and are trying to figure out their way through it, we, we feel more connected to them. We, we at least are more interested in what's going on because it doesn't seem like everything is always up and to the right. This past season has shown us that with celebrities, that, that there's been a lot of articles, a lot of stories written about celebrities who the general public feels disconnected from because they're talking about their private plane on their private island. And we all just look at that and go, that doesn't seem like real life. It seems out of touch. It seems so separate from the struggles of the common folks. Yeah, but when Paul and Silas, when they were struggling, when they were in one of their darkest nights and they're singing hymns and praying to God, you better believe people around them were going, man, what in the world is up with these two guys? People were paying attention. And so we have the same opportunity. What happens next in this story, um, I don't know, it just only gets more dramatic. With every movement, every new scene, something else happens feels very uh, meet the parents-ish, where things just continue to go wrong. Things go from bad to worse and get even more dramatic. The next verse, verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. As if things weren't already rough for them. Now this violent earthquake shakes the very foundations of the prison. I think it's this pretty stellar metaphor that it was an earthquake that shook the foundation of the prison because that's what often happens in our life. 
In our lives, we experience suffering. We go through hard times. We have these seasons where it feels like it just won't stop. And the very foundation that we fastened our life to gets shaken. In fact, uh, maybe you're thinking about this even now. What is it that you've built your life on? I, I would imagine over the last season, it has at least been challenged. It's at least been tested. Maybe life feels shook because the testing of suffering, it always shifts the tectonic plates underneath the foundations of our faith, revealing where we've really placed our hope, where we've really put our faith. It's undeniable and it's unavoidable, but it's also, it's essential to what God seems to want to do. Yes, suddenly there was this violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When I was a kid and I would hear this story in Sunday school, I remember thinking, oh, that must have just been perfect. Like the chains were just perfectly broken off of their wrists. And now all of a sudden, all of the, 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 the chains that they were fastened to their feet were just made this clean break. Yeah, we, we glorify this image, but earthquakes don't make clean breaks, right? It was probably way more gory than we would imagine. Everything about the building maybe imploded and the walls are caving in. It wasn't just that the doors flew open. Maybe the doors flew off. Yeah, sometimes God uses these dramatic, drastic, drastic shifts of what's underneath us to make substantial, even significant shifts in us as well. And so as that's happening, we have another character that enters the scene. There's this man, we don't know his name, but we just know him as the jailer. He's the one that they assigned Paul and Silas to. He's the one that put, him, put Paul and Silas in the inner cell. He's the one that fastened not only their hands, but also their feet. And naturally, verse 27 says, the jailer woke up when he saw that the prison doors were open. And then what does he do? Well, he had been given a task and his task was now completely thrown upside down. He hadn't done what he was supposed to do because of circumstances that were outside of his control. But nonetheless, he's thinking, well, I'm in trouble because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. That They're probably going to execute me because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So he goes, well, I'm not going to give them that opportunity. And, and he actually drew his own sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And if Paul and Silas would have escaped, we would have all been like, hey, that's amazing. Way to go. God set you free. Maybe Paul even would have run by him and thought, this is finally fair. Finally, you're getting what you deserve and we're getting what we deserve, that we deserve to go free and you deserve death. You, you signed up to serve this regime. You, you signed off on our beating. You deserve what's coming. But that wouldn't be consistent with what we know about Paul because one of the things we learn most about Paul is we just take a broader view at all that he wrote is that he had, pretty, he had pretty serious beliefs about what we deserve. See, 
He knew that what he had gotten, this grace of another life, this second chance, this, this next opportunity, that that was not what he deserved. That God had showed him grace. And if you want to understand more about grace, you, you got you to listen to what someone who experienced a lot of grace, what he said. Here's what Paul wrote in another letter. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said this. He said, I, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me the strength that he considered me trustworthy, that God would think that I would be trustworthy to be appointed to his service, that he, that he was appointing me to serve him. He said, you see, because if you don't know this about me, this, this is what's true about my background. He said, even though I was once a, a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, that I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. I acted in unbelief. I, I, I didn't know. And instead of getting what I deserved, God poured out on me something very different. He, he gave me grace. The, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. I love that word. That It was dumped onto me along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, grace means that all of your mistakes, all the, 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 the reasons that the hits sometimes feel like they keep on coming, particularly when it was our fault or when it's something that we did to deserve it, that those mistakes now serve a greater purpose. That instead of just serving up more shame, that they actually give us a mission. Grace has this way of changing our perspective on our situation, that when we, with intention, that when we mindfully receive grace, that we're set up to do something unfathomable, to extend grace to other people. And, and because Paul had received it, he's now set up to extend it to others, which he does to the jailer. Look at what Paul says back to Acts 16, verse 28. He says this, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We could have left. We could have left you high and dry, but we, we didn't. So, so don't harm yourself. We're right here. And that mercy, that grace that Paul showed the jailer, it had quite an impact on him. Naturally, look at what happens next. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then, he, he, he comes to them, bowing in reverence to them, stunned by the grace and the mercy that they showed to him. And he says, Sir, sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? You, you've saved me. And it's clear that you've experienced something that I have not experienced. I don't know that I would have done what you did. So what do I need to do to be saved? And then they give him a real simple explanation. Paul and Silas, they replied, well, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe, put your faith in who Jesus is, the work that Jesus did, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, 
Put your faith in him and you can be saved. And then he says, you and your household. And we don't know what he means by that. Was he speaking in hope? Was he speaking prophetically? Was he now forecasting the future? We don't know yet, but we do know that he gives them a very simple explanation. And they didn't stop there. Now, now we have the scene change where we move to the jailer's house now. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. I, I, I kind of picture this like a, this, this was like a first century Waffle House run. It's the middle of the night. They're like, oh, we're in the middle of some serious conversation. We got to find somewhere else to go. Let's c- come to my house. So the jailer takes them there and then he does something that's hard to even imagine as well. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and, and he washed their wounds, which is, I don't know, is pretty amazing because he might've been the one to cause their wounds, which is the way God seems to work, that oftentimes God does these full circle things where he allows us to experience a purpose or a mission in the very spot of our deepest hurt. This is the kind of stuff that God does. The jailer brings them into his house and he washes their wounds. And then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. They they had a ceremony right there to represent the change that they were experiencing. Right there in the source of Paul and Silas's greatest pain from this jailer who had at least was around the beating. Maybe he was a part of the beating, locked them up into the inner cell, was about to kill himself and then experienced this miraculous moment of mercy and grace. Yeah, the jailer brought them into his house and and he set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Just as Paul had hoped, or maybe just as Paul had predicted. But why, why so much joy? Why filled with so much joy? Well, because that's the natural response to grace. And when someone shows us grace, when we receive the kind of grace that God has shown us, it, it leads to joy. E- even in the middle of a hard time, even in the middle of suffering, even in the middle of a season where it feels like it just can't get any worse, that there are still moments of grace, moments to receive grace, and then beautiful moments to give grace away. So let me just give you two areas that I've seen in my own life that maybe you've seen in yours where God has done a significant amount of grace dispensing, that God is, uh, God is giving grace. He's giving grace even when you're suffering, that even when it's bad, God gives us grace to take a different perspective, to ha- have a, another view on it. Like I'll give you some examples. Maybe, maybe you say something like this, God, why, why did I get into a car accident? Maybe you've had something tragic like that happen Maybe God gives you grace to see it in a different way. And you think, well, by God's grace, I'm still alive. Yeah, there was an accident, but by God's grace, I am still living and breathing. 
Or maybe you'd say this, well, God, I, I've, I've been praying. Why am I still suffering? I've been trying to do all the right things. I've been trying to show up and I've been trying to read my Bible and I've been trying to pray and I've been trying to do all the things I know to do. Maybe God gives you a, maybe he gives you grace to have this perspective that by God's grace, surely good is gonna come out of this. It might not turn into good, but it will, it will somehow lead to something good that I can't see. I, I had a friend who recently walked through cancer and I was asking him all about the treatment and how challenging that was. And he said, you know, the best part, I was like, there's a best part to this. He said, yeah, you know, the best part is that when I go into a waiting room, I have met the most interesting people and I've had the most incredible opportunities to pray for other people and to help other people and to listen to other people's story and to be a light. And as he's telling me this, I just thought that that's not common. That that's grace. That is a grace that God has given you even in the middle of suffering. Or may, maybe you've said this, well, God, why didn't I get that promotion? And maybe God gives you grace to see a bigger picture that somehow down the road, may, maybe you choose to hope, choose to believe that God, he's got something better for me. You, you can't see it now, but how many of you have been in a situation where you lost your job a while ago and now from the perspective you're in now, you look back on it and you think, wow, I couldn't have seen it, but God was doing something in the middle of all that. It actually led to something that I'm grateful for that it is actually better now. Or maybe you say something like this, God, I'm going through so much pain. When is it gonna end? God's grace is the ability to, to fully rely on him, even when it doesn't seem to be getting better. Yeah, Paul calls it in another section that he writes and one of the letters he wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, this is God's grace manifesting itself as strength in my weakness, that God gives me the ability to make it. He sustains me even in the middle of the hard time. Here's the second thing I've noticed about God and his grace is that God is, he's, he's not only giving grace even when you're suffering, but God is, he's working even when you can't see what he's doing. That God is at work even when we don't have the ability to see what he's doing. And I'm just telling you right now, if you're in a season where it feels like the hits just won't stop, God is at work. He's doing something, whether you can see it or not. I just recently saw this story that maybe some of you saw as well. It was um, quite a popular story, so maybe you have, but there's this musician, his name is Thad Cockerell. And Thad was, uh, he was in a band that I, I remember uh, listening to maybe seven or eight years ago. It's a band called Leagues. And during 2020, he put out some new music and maybe you have friends or maybe somebody you know went through something like this as well, where they put out music or put out art or did something, launched something during that year. And obviously it just changes everything. He couldn't tour, he couldn't promote it like he wanted to. And so it didn't sell. He, he, he was in a spot where he was struggling even more. 
And because he's been down the road, because this wasn't his first rodeo, he, he said he started 2021 and wrote down some goals and started thinking about his career. And in the middle of that process, he, it just hit him. I, I need to find something else to do. I need to find a new career. And so he actually turned that into a letter that he wrote to his manager, wrote this, this whole diatribe about how, you know what, it's been a great run, but it's time to do something new. Sends it to his manager. His manager gets back to him and says, immediately says, hey, we're not going to talk about this right now. He says, yeah, this is, I don't know how else to say this, but we got an invitation yesterday that's, that has changed everything. L- last week, this guy was walking through a hardware store and he heard your song and he shazammed it. Which when I first heard that, I thought, who is shazamming songs still? That's amazing. Well, this guy evidently does. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon was trying to figure out how to change a light switch and had to go to the hardware store. And he walks into the store and the store just happens to be playing this song by Fad Cockrell called Swingin'. Just talks about that if I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna go down swinging. And Jimmy says it became his theme. It became his anthem for the, this whole year, this whole season. In fact, he loved it so much that he went and told his team, he said, hey, I wanna invite this guy to play on the Tonight Show. And so Thad did just that. Just recently, he got to join the Roots, who are one of his favorite bands, where he got to play his song, Swingin' on the Tonight Show. And he sold quite a few records because of that. But here's the, here's the big takeaway for me, and maybe this is for you as well. If you're in the middle of something and you feel like maybe you're wanting to give up, you just, you never know who's walking through a hardware store thinking about your situation, thinking about your world. That, that God, God is, he's the kind of God who is giving grace even when you're suffering, that God is working even when you can't see what he's doing. And so you just can't ever assume that you know the whole story. You can't ever assume that just because you can't see him, just because you can't feel him, it doesn't mean that he's inactive, that there's always grace, that God is always working, that he's always working on your behalf, even in the bad, to bring out something good. That is who he is. So I'd love to pray for us in this moment and particularly those of you that are maybe in a season where you feel like, I need to know that he's working. I can't see it and I can't feel it, but I need the faith. I need the lens of faith, even in my suffering, that could hold me no matter what. Heavenly Father, um, I know there's countless people, God, that are um, in seasons like that, where maybe they're, single parent trying to figure out school. Maybe they're a medical worker trying to figure out how I'm supposed to have a life outside of this. Maybe they're in a season of singleness where they're trying to figure out how how am I even supposed to find a relationship, move forward. Maybe their business has been decimated. Maybe just the stress of it all, the, the weight of it all, 
is just weighing them down. God, maybe they've lost someone who's passed away recently. Father, we just ask you for grace, your continued abundant outpouring of grace. I pray that it doesn't come in an earthquake. That feels too much. But God, maybe you're gonna use something like that to help someone. God, I pray that it would, it would come in your presence, that that grace would come in a perspective. Maybe it comes in a person. And God, we know beyond everything that we can trust in Jesus because grace has come. And so we just tell you that we want to trust you. We want to have faith. Give us the strength to tie our rope, to anchor ourselves in what we know is true, that you are who you say you are, that you are at work no matter what. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.